You are listening to the Today I Found Out podcast, where each weekday we provide an interesting story that is going to feed your brain. You can read more great articles like this by going to todayifoundout.com. Hello, welcome to episode number 214 of the Daily Knowledge Podcast from todayifoundout.com. And in the episode today, you're going to learn the fascinating and inspiring story of the man who went from slave to best-selling author and advisor to presidents. And in the bonus facts section today, you're going to learn about how Britain almost became involved in the American Civil War. So let's just get started with today's show. We shall look over the world and survey the history of any other oppressed and enslaved people in vain to find one which has made more progress within the same length of time as the coloured people of the United States. These, and many other considerations which I might name, give brightness and fervour to my hopes that that better day for which that thoughtful amongst us have long laboured and the millions of our people have sighed for centuries is near at hand. With those written words, the great Frederick Douglass laid down his pen. Through the 77 years of his life, he had been a slave, a runaway, a world-renowned orator, a best-selling author, an advisor to presidents, a candidate for national office, a U.S. marshal, and an advocate to both men and women, particularly being a key advocate for the right of women to vote. Born into slavery on Maryland's eastern shore in 1818, Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey, the name given to him by his mother, was the offspring of a slave mother and a white man thought to be his mother's master. Early in his life, his mother was rented to another farm in the north, leaving young Fred to be raised by his grandmother. His grandmother Betsy, while a slave herself, was married to a free man. There was a significant free African-American population on the eastern shore, and it exposed Frederick to the idea that you didn't have to be tied to your born lot in life. Around 1825, he was sent to the Y House. He wasn't sold, he moved to a different property of the same owners, separating him from his grandmother. Life got even tougher for Frederick as he bore witness to, and endured himself, beatings and starvation. His master, Aaron Antony, was particularly cruel. Fortunately for the women of the Antony and Auld, Antony's son-in-law's family, households saw great potential in Frederick. Along with their own similarly aged sons, they taught Frederick how to read and write. When the men of the house learned of this, they immediately put a stop to it. It was against the law, not to mention the social code of the day, to allow a slave to become literate. Undeterred, Frederick continued to teach himself, knowing that an education was the key to a life of freedom. Over the next ten years, Frederick would often be caught teaching other slaves how to read. He would be punished, but this did nothing to stop him. After an escape plot was foiled, Frederick was sent to a reputed slave-breaker, but he could not be broken. While working in Baltimore, he met a free black woman named Anne Murray. They fell in love. He had tried escaping twice before and failed, with severe consequences. The third time was a charm for him. In 1838, disguised as a sailor, and with identification papers from a real free black sailor, he endured a harrowing, but short, 24-hour journey that ended in the home of abolitionist David Ruggles in New York. He said of this, I've often been asked how I felt when I first found myself on free soil, and my readers may share the same curiosity. There is scarcely anything in my experience about which I could not give a more satisfactory answer. A new world had been opened upon me. If my life is more than breath and the quick rounds of blood, I lived more in one day than a year of my slave life. It was a time of joyous excitement, which words can but tamely describe. In a letter written to a friend soon after reaching New York, I said, I felt as one might feel upon escape from a den of hungry lions. Anguish and grief, like darkness and rain, may be depicted, but gladness and joy, like the rainbow, defy 
the skill of pen or pencil. Now a free man, Frederick Bailey married Anne Murray. They remained married for 44 years until her death and changed his surname initially to Johnson, but then later to Douglas, after reading Sir Walter Scott's The Lady of the Lake, which features the Douglas clan. In New York, his personal narrative and incredible intelligence became his ticket to being one of the most sought-after abolitionist orators of the day. Traveling around the Midwest and Northeast, Douglas told his story of being torn from his family, beaten daily, and his heroic escape. He gained admirers and fans, most prominent of which included fellow abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. In 1845, he published his first book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. It became a bestseller, and is a phenomenal read even today. Rochester, the western New York town in which Douglas's family settled, was the perfect place for Frederick Douglass to call home. It was a hotbed of progressive activity and ideas. Besides Douglas and his now friend Garrison, the women's suffrage advocate Susan B. Anthony, escaped slave and caretaker of the Underground Railroad Harriet Tubman, and New York governor and well-known abolitionist, later Lincoln Secretary of State William Seward, all called Rochester home during their lives. His social conscience and the environment around him encouraged Douglas to take on other causes. Douglas was one of the few men to attend the first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, about 50 miles from Rochester, in 1848, and played a key role in swaying the opinion at those meetings that women should be given the right to vote. Many of the women at the convention, including one of those who organized it, thought that was a ridiculous notion. He spoke out against the way the Native Americans were being treated. He campaigned on behalf of all Union soldiers to be paid equally, no matter race, social status, or what state they were from. In April of 1861, with the attack on Fort Sumter, the Civil War commenced. Douglas believed that African Americans had a responsibility to take part in the war, and a right to be able to. The Commander-in-Chief of the Union Army, President Abraham Lincoln, agreed with him. Frederick Douglass became Lincoln's connection to the African-American community, and he invited him to the White House on several occasions. They would discuss ensuring the equal pay and treatment of African-American soldiers, the link between preserving the Union and the abolition of slavery, and granting escaped slaves asylum. Following his re-election, Lincoln invited Douglass to a White House reception. It was the first time a black man was invited to a reception of that nature. The two had an immense amount of mutual respect for one another, but it didn't mean they always agreed. Lincoln's first priority was always to preserve the Union, and Douglas felt that Lincoln did not go far enough with the Emancipation Proclamation. He was also disappointed that Lincoln never publicly supported suffrage for African Americans. Once, he even called Lincoln the white man's president. Even after Lincoln's death, when saying anything publicly in the North that was even remotely negative about Lincoln was practically blasphemous, Douglas spoke about the fact that Lincoln shared the prejudices common to his countrymen towards the colored race. But on the 14th of April 1876, nearly 11 years after Lincoln's assassination, Douglas delivered what would be his greatest speech on the subject of Lincoln during the unveiling of the Freedmen's Monument. While he wasn't afraid to give his thoughts on Lincoln's prejudices, he also described Lincoln as such. Though high in position, the humblest could approach him and feel at home in his presence. Though deep, he was transparent. Though strong, he was gentle. Though decided and pronounced in his convictions, he was tolerant to those who differed from him, and patient under reproaches. Even those who only knew him through his public utterance obtained a tolerably clear idea of his character and personality. The image of the man went out with his words, and those who read them knew him. On February the 20th, 1895, at the age of 77, Frederick Douglass passed away in Washington, D.C., hours after giving a speech to the National Council of Women. He was a tremendously admired man for his commitment to his convictions and unwavering advocate to the African-American community.
He was welcomed by presidents, kings, and leaders across the world. Thousands attended his funeral in New York, and you can still visit his gravesite today in the Mount Hope Cemetery in Rochester. And now for today's bonus facts. After the publishing of his first book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, he became a prominent and well-known figure. For this reason, he traveled to Europe not only to promote his book, but to avoid the potential consequences of being an escaped slave in the United States, where a lot of people now knew he was. Technically, Douglas was still owned and had a master. He feared that he would be hunted down. Eventually, he would return, and British admirers of his raised the necessary funds to buy his freedom. Bonus fact 2. It is thought that the British government wanted to intervene in the American Civil War on the side of the Confederacy, not because they supported slavery – it had previously been outlawed in Britain – but because the lack of export of cotton from the Americas was hurting the cloth industry in Britain tremendously. They never did provide any significant aid to the South, due to what some say was the overwhelming sentiment against slavery that Frederick Douglass helped provoke in the British people during his time there about 16 years before the Civil War started. This public sentiment, combined with the 1863 masterstroke that was the Emancipation Proclamation, officially making the war about slavery, made it impossible for the British government to come to the aid of the South in exchange for favorable deals on cotton exports. Bonus Fact 3 When Douglas began his career as an author and orator, well-known abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison helped him become a well-known figure. Later, they became rivals over a key difference in the interpretation of the Constitution. After much studying, Douglas believed that the Constitution was inherently an anti-slavery document. Garrison believed that the Constitution was pro-slavery and actually would go so far as to advocate the burning of the document in effigy. In addition, Garrison saw Douglas's North Star publication as a direct competitor to Garrison's national anti-slavery standard. You just listened to an episode of the Today I Found Out daily podcast. Tune in every weekday for another great episode, or find more articles at todayifoundout.com.